the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. Okay. Here we are live for another webinar. Andy Lockwood here from Lockwood College Prep with our head tutor, Marissa Yu. Good, good evening, Marissa. Good evening. Live from our classroom in Glenwood Landing. <laughs> what's, what's the buzz there? What's the mood? It's pretty chill. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, one's, no one's crying or uh, tears of joy or, or sadness? Not yet. Give me no. some time. <laughs> you you were there like all day today, right? I saw yeah, I saw yeah. saw your car there. Okay, it's been, been a long day. <laughs> okay, well, are, do you have any uh, tutoring after this, or, or is it, are you? Oh, no, thankfully, a rare early day. Well, I'll be done by eight o'clock. All right, Very exciting. I'm excited for you. All right, so uh, tonight is a an open sort of Q and A um, about the ever changing constantly evolving landscape on the SAT and the ACT. And I was just saying uh, offline here before we started, we received um, either 15 or 16 pre-submitted questions, about 13 of which are all the same about whether to submit or not. Um, so so, uh, so that's clearly that's something on, that is on everyone's mind. Um, but before we start, let me just see who is with us tonight. And just if you could just let us know in chat that you're here and that uh, we're coming in loud and clear. I see there's 30-something people on. We've got 70-something people registered. So just say hi in the chat. I'm just running down here. John, Denise, T, David, John, Bridget, Julie, Miriam, Heidi, Dara. Just let us know that you can see and hear. Leslie, Alyssa, Sharon, Jatender, Kristen, Kimberly, Carol, Mary, Rob, and Irene. So... Okay, we're coming in loud and clear. Thank you, Heather Jatinder, David, Rebecca, John, Alyssa, Renee from Boston, fresh from a campus tour at BC. Nice. I grew up, I was a townie. I grew up 2.3 miles from Boston College. Uh, and Julianne from Florida. Hello, Julianne. Good. And Julie. All right, excellent. Coming in loud and clear. Hello, Rob. Good. All right. Um, so what's the lay of the land before, before, before we get into some of these questions? Um, how in general did your students do in the last round? Um, who did the best, who didn't do so well? And then we'll get into some of the reasons why. So the SAT has been an interesting result. Um, the reading section on this past the March SAT was really, really, really difficult. Um, so normally I tell my students, like theoretically, it doesn't really matter if you get like a hard section or easy section, because they sort of account for that in the curve. So a harder reading section, you should be able to get more questions wrong and still have a higher score and the converse if it were an easier one. However, that doesn't affect all students equally. So I find that students who struggle more with reading are gonna have a worse time with the harder reading section. So if that's not your strength, you're at a bit of a disadvantage with this past March test. Um, that's what I'm hearing the most complaints about. Like so many people were running out of time. So I had some students, we had a lot of good results, but for some people it wasn't as much on the reading 
as they would have expected. Like it didn't match how they did on their practice tests because this was just like, this test was a bit of uh, an anomaly. Like the reading was just like way harder than normal. So, and that happens from time to time. And I get a lot of questions like, what month should I take the test? Like when would it be the easiest? When would have the best curve? And the curve does change and it does get easier and harder, but we have no way of predicting it. So you just have to, to account for the fact that some months you're gonna get a test that's just hard for you personally. Some months you're gonna get a test that you just really click with and it's just sort of, you know, the right difficulty level for you. So we always recommend plan on taking the test multiple times. Don't like if don't wait to take the test until the fall of your senior year. You want to leave yourself a few more options in case it doesn't work out the way you want to. But that said, we did have some good results this uh, past March for the SAT. We had many people that had uh, over a 100 point increase. Um, the ACT too, like what was the last ACT was, well, that's been a while now, the February. <laughs> I don't remember those results as well. But yeah, we did have people make a, a big jump, like students on the ACT in February actually exceeded their expectations. Like most of the students were like their practice test was a certain score. And we kind of assume your actual test will be close to that. And like they ended up getting several points higher than it. Hmm. So, Lots of good ACT results in, in February. Now, I remember a couple of those emails that came in. Those are those are pretty cool. Yeah. Um, what's the difference in in reading sections for each test for SAT versus ACT? If, if so, well, the SAT will be changing in March of next year. So for anyone who is a sophomore now, it's going to be a different explanation, but. Um, the biggest difference in general between the test, which includes the reading section, is that the SAT is slower paced. So you get more time to read and answer each question. And the ACT is a lot faster paced. But the SAT tends to be more challenging for people. Like the questions tend to be a little more complex. The passages tend to be a little more complex. It's a longer reading section. So that's a big, big difference. Another difference is the ordering of the questions. Um, with my SAT reading technique, there's a way where we can figure out exact order of questions. So we can figure out exactly where the answer to every question is in the passage, whereas the ACT, that's more of a challenge because the questions are really, really mixed up. And the ones that don't have a line in the question, it's hard to figure out where that is. So generally, you know, stronger readers um, might fare a little better on the ACT just because they can get through it more quickly and don't have to search for the answers as much. Um, other than reading, uh, I've heard, you know, reading op-ed pieces in like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal or something like that. How, how do you improve a reading score? So, well, in general, if you want to be, improve your reading, you should try to read challenging material. So if you're a parent of a younger student right now, and you're worried about taking the SAT or ACT down the road, like try to encourage your student to read books that are like a little challenging. Like we're not reading like People Magazine, but maybe read, you know, something by like one of the classic authors like Charles Dickens. Um, as far as increasing your ability, like if you're a junior now and you need to prepare for the test, uh, I do have very specific strategies 
for both the SAT and the ACT. Obviously, we don't have time to get into the whole thing now, but it really helps you sort of like break down the sections so that you're not reading everything straight through and then answering out of memory. Um, I also have lots of tips to recognize how they write their traps. So for harder questions, they write the wrong answers in a way that tempt you and the right answers in a way that repel you. Um, in addition to that, practicing is really, really important. So it's not enough just to learn the strategy. The strategy is really helpful, but you have to practice a lot and review your mistakes. So that's true for any section, really. Yeah, I imagine if you're going to um, have strategies, you need to um, recognize those patterns, I guess, or those those tricks. And that's interesting. I don't think I really understood that they um, would make right answers repel. Yeah, well, it's only for hard questions, but they don't want you know, like 10% of students having a perfect score on the SAT. Hmm. If that were to happen, it wouldn't be such a useful tool for colleges. So, but we have so many students that are like really great in all these topics. So there has to be a way to make it so it's like less than 1% of people are getting a perfect score. And that's one way that they do it. At least that's my theory. <laughs> they never released that. Um, so we got a couple of questions uh, about, you know, what's, what's, how do, how do you figure out which test to take? And I know we, we spent a lot of time talking about that. So just briefly, what are your, what are your thoughts on SAT versus ACT? Because so, colleges accept both. So that's, there's, that, that sometimes we get questions about that, but the questions specifically for tonight were, which one do you take? So this is for the current version, right? Both the tests are the same length. The main difference is that the SAT is slower paced but a little more challenging as far as how they ask their questions. The ACT is faster paced and a little more straightforward. The SAT has more of a math focus. So students who are like, you know, stronger in math than in, in reading tend to gravitate more to the SAT, where students who are stronger in reading than in math tend to gravitate toward the ACT. Also students who get extra time accommodations tend to fare a little better on the ACT. But of course, we have our diagnostic test that you guys can sign up for on our website, lockwoodtestprep.com. Um, for students who are looking to figure out for next year, um, I'll be developing a new diagnostic test. Or you can always just take the digital SAT practice test, take a full-length ACT, and we can always compare those results to see which one you did better in. Um. We also got a question. Uh, we usually get this question multiple times on when, when is the best time to start prepping? Uh, soon. <laughs> um, the best time to start testing, seriously testing, is when you've completed about half of Algebra 2. So if you've already completed Algebra 2 or you're in Algebra 2 now, like start prepping right away. Um, I would think, you know, the majority of people, maybe three months before, Maybe, maybe six weeks, depending, like if you're going to take two tests, maybe start six weeks before one, three months before the second one. Um, but it really depends on the student. Like some people take our six week class and they're just done once they get their score. Other students need to take the test a few times and continue studying. So depends on people, but I would say, you know, three-ish months is a good goal. Um, speaking of that, so, so uh, one of your um, more memorable stories um, was the daughter of a, a buddy of mine who I was actually playing golf with yesterday 
um, who had already taken Mary uh, uh, from Mary Nakakis from uh, Manhasset. And I think her situation was she'd already taken the test like four or five times, like the ACT four or five times. And she'd then actually studied with someone who I previously worked for, yeah. for the whole school year. Yeah. And had gotten essentially within a point or two, like the same score for like the four or five times throughout the year. Which which was below the score she needed to be recruited for crew at uh, at Villanova, and she kept yeah. getting the same score over and over again, and which was below. Yeah, yeah. And then she took your class. She didn't. She didn't do one on one tutoring with you, right? Uh, she took the class, and then we met a couple of times. Okay, so it was a hybrid. Uh, yeah, it's like a hybrid situation. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, that was a very impressive score increase. Yeah, it was. It was. It was like a five points or something. It was no, uh, it was like ten points. Was it ten points? Yeah, he he didn't remember, but he did remember her like bursting into the room and screaming, and he thought like she was, yeah. you know, she had her arm cut off, and said she was like so happy that the. I think her goal was five points. Yeah. Okay. And then she just completely like blew everybody away with yeah. a ten point increase. Yeah, and that was over, you know, two months of studying. I would yeah. say. And I'm but I'm not bringing that up because that happens all the time. That was, uh, that yeah, was no. <laughs> unusual, but we typically do see score increases if kids, you know, do the work, you know, they have to do the work. And like Marissa said, you know, you've got to implement the, the yeah. yeah, you know, your kid, you know, if your kid is resistant and isn't going to do any of the homework, you know, you're probably not going to get a lot out of a class, but if you have a student who's motivated, they want to do well, and you know that they actually do homework that's assigned, then those are the kids that tend to get like those crazy score increases. Good. Okay. Interesting stuff. So, all right. So let me um, sort through some of the pre-submitted questions. And like I said, there's a lot of overlap. If you're just joining us, um, about 15 or 16 people submitted questions ahead of time. And if you have any questions now or as we uh, progress throughout this short Q&A, lob them right there in chat. You can even mark them as a question if you want to make my life a little easier. Um, but, you know, that's okay if you don't. Um, all right. So a lot of these are about whether to submit scores or not. They're not necessarily a strategic thing. So I'm going to try to combine some of these. Randy, uh, can you speak to the announcement this week regarding the SUNYs and test optional? So for those of you in New York, you know a, a, what a SUNY is. For those of you out of New York, it's the State University of New York. They just announced that they're going to continue to be test optional. Um, so that's not really a change. It's just, um, you know, I guess this speaks to the bigger question of that we got over and over again about whether to submit or not. So let me just say this. There, there is a difference between applying, between applying without submitting your tests and getting in without submitting your tests. And um, for the most part, I think colleges are still feeling their way a little bit. And they're, they're also um, a little murky and not so transparent on the results of how many people submitted scores although I'm starting to see that more this year than last year. And then of the people who got in, how many people submitted their scores, right? Those are two different things. But what I can say for the most part is that um, at most colleges, more than 50%, and sometimes it's it's 70 or 80% of people um, submitted scores, but it's usually around 50, 50-ish, 50 to 60 submitted, meaning 40% or so did not submit. And then out of the people who get in, you know, that's very unclear, um, except for a few colleges. So the way I look at this is um, whether to submit your scores or not is usually a school-by-school school game day type of decision. Um, I can say for sure 
that if you are a special category, meaning a recruited athlete or an underrepresented minority or um, a disadvantaged, you know, low-income family, um, legacy, something along those lines. You're, if you're, you know, diverse. If you're visually diverse, by the way, there's, you know, there's, there's a, um, uh, that's what they care about, really, visual diversity. Um, and uh, any, any of any of those special categories, then you're more likely to get in without submitting scores. <clears throat> um, but in terms of the decision whether to submit or not, I would say in general, I would submit your scores if you're in the range. I saw a couple of questions about that and, and colleges and admissions people in general would rather see the scores because they are still helpful. They're not perfect, but they're still helpful at predicting um, whether or not you will be able to do the work academically, what your potential is at, at, uh, at that college. And some schools have announced recently that they are abandoning the test optional policies. Uh, MIT was, was, was one notable one, but it's not only the, the elite ones. I think um, you know, all the Florida state schools, the Tennessee state universities. Um, I expect more schools to take a stand this way, but I don't know if it's going to be an overwhelming amount that's going to require you to submit your, your scores. I think the, the trend definitely is toward accepting applications without test scores. But, um, keep in mind that if you if you do not submit your test scores, and and the and those SATs and ACTs are um, the third most important academic credential that you are proffering to uh, a college when you're applying. So they care about your GPA, um, they care about your rigor, meaning your AP, how many AP classes or IB classes you've taken, and then the third component are your scores. Those three combined in the in the aggregate are roughly 60% of your application. So, you know, it's not quite a third, a third, a third. But if you remove the test score, now that means that the GPA and the rigor become more uh, important, just simple logic. And all the other stuff that colleges look at, which is another 20 factors, including stuff that's out of your control, like race, ethnicity, visual diversity, etc. But also, um, you know, the recommendations, your application, your essay, uh, et cetera, et cetera. All, all that stuff also becomes more important. So if you have um, lower than the range test scores, but the rest of your application is strong overall, then, you know, that, that could be a good move not to submit your scores. But if your the rest of your application is, is weaker and it's not going to help you, and not submitting your scores is, is not really going to do anything for you. And I think um, that this kind of dovetails into why admissions rates continue to drop to ridiculously low levels because there's so many people uh, applying to, to college without submitting their scores, but it's just a fool's errand because uh, the rest of the application you know, is not going to be considered because they're not in that league. So there's a lot of non-qualified kids um, applying to, to colleges and uh, there are more applications going in. I think we're up 30% since before the pandemic overall. Um, it's not that there's more kids applying, there's more applications per child being submitted. So um, mostly because of these test optional policies. But in terms of the, you know, we got a lot of questions about whether to submit or not. Um, I was having a conversation, I guess it was last October because it was in, in, in advance of uh, November, November 1. 
And um, the mom was told by their guidance counselor at a um, very competitive um, parochial high school, private parochial high school here in Long Island, guidance counselor said to the kid, uh, do not submit your score and don't apply early decision either. And she said, is this right? I said, well, I looked at the score and he was in the range, but at the low end of, of the range for his top choice school. Um, and I said, I don't know why they're saying not to do that. And the response was, well, the guidance counselor said, don't give them a reason to reject you. I said, well, that, this is not a reason to reject you because you're right in, in the range. If you don't submit your score, what's the implication? It's not that you you know, knocked it out of the park and they're too high and you're, you know, trying not to make anyone feel badly because of how well you did. It's, it's because you're not in the range. So, so, um, uh, so I did recommend that he submit his scores and I did recommend, I think he worked with them also actually, Dylan. Um, and then, uh, he, he applied early decision and, you know, PS, um, got in early decision and he got a, a scholarship, $25,000 a year for a hundred thousand dollars. Right. So, I think a lot of high school guidance counselors are still kind of feeling their way through this, but it's probably because they don't understand all 20, 25 factors that uh, admissions officers consider. And I think to be fair, a lot of colleges are still putting out sort of conflicting bits of information if you really read into it. But but overall, if you're in the range, I would submit. If you're not in the range, I would not submit. And you know, there's more stuff to consider. So that just, that just dealt with a lot of these, these questions here. Um, Will the SAT and ACT become more important than they have been the past few years? Since the test optional phase, I hear schools are starting to reinstate test requirements, especially schools in the Ivy or close to Ivy range. Yeah, I, 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 if I were betting, I would say yes, but slowly. Um, Kimberly, can high scores on APs counter mediocre SAT or ACT scores, and is it worthwhile to submit mediocre scores if APs are high, or is it better to apply test optional? So. APs are important if you did well, meaning a four or five, and um, the decision about whether to submit your score or not, I would I would just refer you to what I already said about if you're in the range, I would do that. Um, Mary, what's the best? Okay, here's one. Mary, what's the best way to improve your math SAT score if you don't have time for weeks of in-person prep? <laughs> um, well, you could take our online prep person um but i mean you've got to do lots of practice tests see what you're getting wrong and just you need to find a way to learn the material that you're missing but you know i think taking a prep course or or having a tutor you can learn a lot of valuable strategy to deal with questions because it's not just about learning the content but it's learning how to approach different question types in the math sections um you know, your philosophy is the highest results in the least amount of time, but you, as opposed to signing everyone up for the, you know, two year program. Yeah. Um, but you still need to put the time in. So, so I don't know if there is really a magic pill and I know that's not what, what's being asked here by, um, uh, I think this is Mitzi, but, um, yeah, you need, you need to really put in the time. Okay. That, that said, my math strategy is about, putting in the least amount of effort into the math section and finding the right answer with the least amount of work. Um, good. All right. I, I, I see that. David, have you been observing during this admission cycle that overrepresented groups haven't been receiving positive results from top 25 schools when they have submitted, uh, where they have submitted scores to? Um, yeah, I, you know, so, so, 
there's stories all the time, like Stanford bragged that they rejected 700 people with perfect SATs or ACTs, which, which to me is like, it's nuts because um, if they're, you know, the argument against that is um, if you're an employer and you get it in the past, if you were interviewing someone from Stanford, there was some sort of an assumption that you were getting someone who, you know, performed well academically. So, so bragging about, um, admitting about rejecting a bunch of people who had perfect scores and admitting people with lesser scores, even though that may be great for the diversity goals and, and all that, that might actually sort of debase their, um, their brand and make, you know, make, make um, employers think twice based on, you know, we don't know how, how everyone's performing on, under these test optional policies academically and in the workforce because they're, they're so, um, th this version of the test optional policies is so new. I mean, it's, they're, they're so much more popular. But um, yeah, I, I do think that um, a lot of kids with grade scores every year get rejected, but it's not necessarily because they are not underrepresented minorities. It, it could be because they don't have like a ridiculous five or six page resume. Um, we, had, we had a student uh, who worked with one of my associate college advisors um, on Ivy Day, on the heels of getting, uh, I think, waitlisted at Northwestern two days before, and thinking her dream of going to an Ivy was over based on that, she got into Wharton, Cornell, uh, and then Princeton and Harvard all, all on the same day, and she <laughs> was an overrepresented minority, <laughs> um, and uh, she had like a, a ridiculous five-page resume, and she was all that, and I think that's what it takes to get into these schools, period, whether you're underrepresented or overrepresented. Um, and she was, you know, she's a great student. I think she was number two in her class. Uh, she had very strong scores. She submitted those scores. Um, I think there's more to it than just, you know, whether you're a minority or not. Okay, here's a question I think you get too um, uh, from Megan. Should you auto send, automatically send SAT scores to schools for free within nine days of taking the test. So before you get your results or wait and view multiple test results before sending to schools. Do you get that question a lot? Um, sometimes not as much as you do. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, what's your answer before I, I tell you my answer? I usually say ask Andy, but <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, I would say I was going for yes or no, but yeah. I would say no. I mean, yeah. If, if unless it's a school that is requiring you to submit every score you get, right. uh, why would you want to show them something like whatever? I don't know how much it costs to send a score, but it, it, it can't be worth the risk. I agree. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. Okay, I concur. Um, Dave, uh, Pete, do, do you need to take the SAT or don't you need to take the SAT or ACT in order to receive a merit scholarship or war, or will a high GPA alone suffice? Um most of the time they want to see the scores, uh, not always, if, especially if you are visually diverse or because merit is sort of in the, in the eye of the beholder. But I would count on submitting scores in order to get merit aid. And I've heard countless stories over the last two plus years of kids who were psyched to get in because they didn't submit their scores. And then they found out that they weren't eligible for, for uh, merit aid because of that decision. Um, okay, so Leslie asked a question about should you submit if you're in the range, uh, the published range? I said yes. Um, Denise, should my daughter, and, and by the way, I see some questions coming in, so I'll, I'll get to those right after 
I run through these, which will be pretty quick. Uh, should my daughter submit to test optional schools? You know, it depends if you're in the range. Um, Sal, uh, does it make sense to provide your SAT or ACT score if the score is less than the expected 25th percentile? I would probably be really hesitant to do that. Um, I can't see a reason why I would. If your child is in graduate school and high and graduate college and high school at the same time with 3.9, does she really need to get an, a good, an SAT to get into a good college? Wait, what? <laughs> if your child is grad college, um, do you really need an SAT to get into a good college? Well, again, um, it'll help if you have a good SAT, but if you don't, then and you're, oh, the rest of your application strong, then you have a shot at getting into a quote-unquote good college. All right, Rob Pfeiffer. Hello, Mr. Pfeiffer. Uh, after many college tours and info sessions, the overwhelming response to submitting ACT scores is, quote, submit if you're in the range, don't submit if you are not. Should we really believe this? Yes. Dara, uh, SAT score and difference between written and digital. So what's the difference? Um, a big difference is the length, the digital SAT, which will roll out in 2024. So for current sophomores or younger, those are the students who would be taking it. Um, it's an hour shorter than the current version of the SAT, and it's an hour shorter than the ACT. It's also obviously taken digitally, so you won't have a paper and pencil experience. Um, the reading section is dramatically different. You don't have long reading sections anymore with a series of questions. It's just like a short reading thing and then maybe one question per little mini passage. They also changed it up. Like there's poetry now being tested on the SAT. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're adding some more advanced vocabulary words as well. So they're kicking up the vocab a little bit more than previously. Um, the grammar is very, very similar, which is the writing and language section in the current SAT. The math is um, very, very similar, although they're simplifying the wording of the problems, so they're not as complex anymore. And uh, it is, uh, I forgot the word, but the way they grade it, it's different. Like you'll take the first module for English and math, and depending on how you do on that, you'll get a different set of questions the second half of your test. So such a hard time understanding that, but yeah, I you say that for a year. Yep. <laughs> All right. So I'm getting some of the questions that just came in now. And um, uh, actually talk about the, the courses you have coming up. Uh, and then let me, then I'll get to some of these questions and feel free to lob in some more questions before we wrap up everybody. Okay, so I'll also soon we'll be posting the summer schedule. I'm still kind of working out that schedule, but over the summer, we're going to have online and in-person classes for SAT, ACT, and I'll probably offer a, like a mini digital SAT warm-up for students who want to get a head start on that. Um, but our current next classes, we've got, um, let's see, we've got an SAT class uh, online starting on Tuesday, April 25th. That runs on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 8 to 9 Eastern time. All time zones are welcome. <laughs> then we have an ACT that also runs on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 7 to 8 Eastern. 
and that starts on May 9th. So that's to prepare for the June ACT and the SAT is to prepare for the June SAT as well. So anyone taking the test within the school year, we do have two classes coming up online. We've got some in-person classes too. I'll put the uh, link. So this is a link to our online classes, but if you go to the, the menu, you can see our tutoring page, you can see our in-person page, you can see our diagnostic. If you want to take the diagnostic, just click on the option that says diagnostic and you can sign up for it there. Very good. That's all at lockwoodtestprep.com and I posted the the uh, direct link also. All right, so let me get to some of these questions. Carol, assuming you know where you want to go, should you submit your scores when you sign up to take the tests? Um, before you get your results back? No. Um, I'm not sure that's what you're asking. Uh, or when you apply, typically when you apply. Question from Heidi, SAT and ACT are all booked within 100 miles. When are the next tests opening up? Uh, that would be the next SAT will be in uh, August. And the next ACT is in July. But if you're not, if you're in New York, they don't have any New York testing centers for the July test. So you would have to travel to a nearby state, um, which might be a problem with a hundred mile radius. Um, after that, the next ACT would be in September. Yeah, you gotta register for these things quickly sometimes. Yeah, and for anybody who's looking at the August SAT, that tends to fill up very quickly because I don't think they have as many options available. And they don't tell us when the registration opens up. We have no idea. So basically you have to become a stalker of the College Board page and just look every day. And the second you see registration open up, you need to register immediately, like that day, because yeah. they, they'll fill up within two days, at least on Long Island in New York City. It's like Taylor Swift concert tickets. Yeah, yeah. If you're in uh, Minnesota, you might have more options or, yeah. you know. I don't even know if there's an option to sign up for notifications about the tests. I, I don't think there is on the SAT. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the August test is really tricky to sign up for. Question from Bridget. What is the site for the diagnostic test? That's lockwoodtestprep.com. Um, Tom, have you noticed, uh, this is since COVID, have you noticed a drop-off in math proficiency? I would say there's been a problem with math proficiency forever. <laughs> um, so it's not worse? I don't really think it's worse. No, I think students always have holes in their math education for some reason. How about other... my students? I'm just, I have, you know, a biased sample. Yeah, of course. How yeah. about um, reading or other uh, areas? Um, I, I would say pretty much the same as always. There's always been problems yeah. with reading yeah. ability as well. And grammars, uh, it seems like that's not taught at all. No, that's that's there's no way that changed because nobody's learning grammar in school unless maybe a private school or parochial school might. But even then, they don't always teach yeah. grammar. Yeah. So but the good news is in our classes, I teach everything they need. So you can come in knowing nothing about grammar or as most students, they know some things that are actually wrong. Um, but it's, it's a, I think it's the easiest section to like bring up to a really high score. Well, you're teaching, you know, testing grammar. You're not teaching like yeah, you know, like if you know, were, language grammar. 
if you were to repeat what you learn in my class to like a, a grammar instructor, they would think you're a little off. <laughs> um, and maybe, yeah, maybe for their purposes you are, but not, not for testing. Yeah, we just need to know exactly what we need to know to get all the questions right on the SAT yeah. or ACT. I don't really care about grammar in general. We just want a perfect score on that section. Okay. Um, so the minimum dosage. Yes. Uh, all right, David Jordan. Uh, you've, Andy, you've had this view about test optionals since before the 2023 admission cycles results were released. Have the results solidified your view? No, I think I think the results are consistent. They've sort of um, um, they've been they've been necessarily um, increased or decreased. I think they're consistent. Um, Mitzi, our, our sophomore took a practice ACT needs better prep. What's the best course of action? Well, I might be biased, but I, I do like my course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, I don't know if your student has done prep at or not, but I think it's really important to learn strategies. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so what, a lot, what a lot of people do is they'll take Marissa's class, which is really group tutoring. It's really small. And then if they need to focus on, you know, the, the parts that are going to give the highest and best results and I mean the, the quickest, highest scores, then do a few hours of tutoring. So it's, it's a sort of blend those. Since you've already taken a prep class, which we assume is was competent, um, you know, you They're may want to just jump. Well, I mean, that's the doubt. Uh, you <laughs> may want to jump right to tutoring, but you can certainly, you know, talk to Marissa about that. Uh, Rebecca, I'm a sophomore. Should I take a prep, corp this, uh, prep course this summer? give myself plenty of time to take the test multiple times and then take another prep class if necessary. My goal is to bring my score up nine points. Well, that makes it, the nine points makes it clear that this is the ACT because students who are taking the SAT are, and if you're a sophomore now, you have a complicated decision to make about starting to test earlier. But yeah, testing, like the earlier you start, the better because it gives you time to study everything you need, do lots of practice tests. Um, if you are taking algebra two next year, however, um, you definitely need to plan on testing again in the spring because the test is designed to test all of your math up through the first half, first three quarters of algebra two. So if you test as a fresh, as a sophomore, like, uh, sorry, as a junior in the fall and you haven't finished the algebra two yet, there'll be some gaps in your math. Not a huge amount. It's not like it's mostly algebra two, but you know, yeah, definitely. what percent is algebra two on? on uh... I would say about fifteen percent. So it's not a huge thing, but it's enough that it will make a difference on your score. Um, but you, but so, you like people starting that su that summer between tenth. Yeah, I really like starting in the summer because you've got this like less pressure time okay. where you can just devote all you have to the test prep. Got but it. and if you've taken algebra two, you go ahead and test right away. Start testing in the early fall, late summer. But if you haven't taken Algebra 2, you can still start testing to get your feet wet, but definitely take it again in the spring. Linda, uh, which schools want every score? That's, it's usually um, elite schools like MIT. I think Georgetown might be another one. But um, what they're looking for is the the outlier. You know, So if you've taken you know, the SAT three times or four times and you went from like a, a 1,300 to a 15, that's probably – fine because they know that people can improve their scores with studying 
Um, but what they're trying to avoid is, you know, someone who got like 1200, 1200, 1200, and then, you know, 1550, that's sort of an outlier. It might be a cheating suspicion. It might be, you know, who knows? So, um, so that's not really all it's blown up to be. A lot of people get nervous about submitting every score. As long as you're, you're within a reasonable range, that's fine. Um, Megan is visually diverse, meaning skin color rather than neurodiverse. My, my son is Hispanic, but light skin. You know, if you check the box, um, Hispanic, then you will receive a little bit of a thumb on the scale. It's not a rubber stamp to get in anywhere by any means, but, um, they, they, they tend to have an edge if you are, um, an underrepresented minority, but colleges do love visual diversity. If you look at any brochure or any website or, you know, they're very carefully chosen to make the, make the school look like, you know, it's a small world in Disney, a little taller. Um, so, so they, they really like both in general. I know that sounds cynical, but I'm just uh, telling you the way it is. Um, Carol. So my kid got excited, submitted her scores when she signed up for her first test results came back average, did a prep with Marissa, felt better about yesterday's test. Should we wait to get the results back before submitting to the same schools? Uh, yes, definitely. Definitely wait. Um, uh, what is a good score for the SAT from Beth? The, the short answer is it varies from school to school. So um, a 33 would be a, a great score for virtually every college except the super elite ones. And my line about that is if you submit an SAT, uh, a 33 ACT to MIT, it's like you have a learning disability because you're competing with kids who have 36s who don't get in. Um, so that's a, a it depends question. Uh, Beth, will the original and digital SATs be offered? Or will they just move to digital only? So in other words, can you choose? Once they switch, will you be able to choose? Uh, I would imagine no. However, if you've got some accommodation that would make a digital test hard for you. I'm sure, well, they know they'll have a paper option for those students, but they're not gonna give your average student a choice. Everyone's gonna be digital. Yeah. Um, all right, Kristen, if your junior has a very good GPA, but is not doing as well on the ACT, should we plan to go test optional? Are, there, are these schools really test optional that say they are? Yeah, I mean, I would go test optional to the schools where you're not in the range, where you're below the range. Of the published range, but if you're within it, then then submit even at the low end. Uh, okay, let's see what else. Um, Julianne, uh, when should a sophomore begin testing? So I we kind of covered that before. Yeah, <laughs> but if you take algebra two, go ahead and start. Like if you're in Algebra 2 now and you're a sophomore, you can start now if you feel like you're ready to take the test. If you've done prep, if you've done practice, yeah. um, if you haven't taken Algebra 2, you can start in the fall of your junior year. But you definitely want to test again in the spring when you've taken most, you know, at least half of Algebra 2. All right. Um, looks like Kara stole her husband Rob's identity and is asking... <laughs> Uh, is the ACT sold out in July in New York or just not offered? No, they don't offer it in yeah. New York. I, they may not offer in California. I don't remember. They used to not. I don't know if they started offering it there. But I think it has to do with 
some statutes we have in New York about like releasing these certain amount of like practice tests. Yeah. I don't know. It's complicated, but New York doesn't offer it, but the surrounding states do. So if you want to take the July test, you will, and you're a New Yorker, you will have to travel out of state yeah. to do that. Connecticut or Jersey, probably. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Bridget, Marissa, is there a sign up for notification for your mini digital warm up? Uh, not yet. Mini digital. Oh, <laughs> I was like, wait, what is that? No, I haven't. I haven't planned it out yet. Um, but yeah, there will. Yeah, be. you you can send out to the mailing list. <laughs> yeah, once you're ready, we'll we'll yeah yeah a big hot release. Um. Okay, Carol, what do you consider the range on the common data set over fifty percent? Well, I'm talking about the um, all colleges publish their their ranges, the middle, you know, the twenty five to seventy five percent range, and so if you're below <coughs> that. 25%, I would not submit. But they they, they will publish that um, probably on the common data set, um, but but certainly on their own frequently asked question pages too. So you can probably get it both ways. And, and there might be discrepancy. You, you may want to um, you know, check both. All right. Uh, anyone else have any questions? This Consider this your ultimate last call. Um. Marissa, it's a good time for you to say your. What's that? Had a lot of good questions today. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes people are uh, reticent in the chat. Um, this would be a good time while we wait for last call for you to give your typical advice about um, everyone should panic. Is that is that it? Everyone should stay very calm. Oh. Uh, especially the parents. Um, anxiety can be inherited through the air. <laughs> so if you're freaking out about the test scores and you're verbalizing this to your child, or if you're just sort of exhibiting it in front of them, uh, they'll start feeling nervous as well. And for a lot of students that translates to test anxiety, which yeah. is not great for your score. So stay calm and be prepared. Um, all right. One, one last question. One last comment. Uh, I'll start with the comment. So Linda says recruited athlete scores are needed earlier. Yeah. yeah they, they typically are um, particularly at the elite schools like Ivy's because that's, that's one of the first questions coaches have is what are your grades and, and your scores. And then they'll, they'll typically tell you what score you need to hit in order to be um, admitted or, or on the, I guess on the list for that coach. Um, although with test optional, you know, I've, I've seen that um, come into play with recruited athletes uh, as well. Um, I've had a couple of situations where um, a, an athlete was told not to submit scores because I can get you more academic money if you don't submit your scores. Wow. Um, that was one of your students uh, a while ago who did pretty well, but he was not quite at the level he was hoping for. Um, so, yeah, that's, that is a good comment from Linda. Thank you. Um, Nita says, uh, when you say to 10th graders to start testing if they're currently taking algebra two, do you mean practice testing? You mean, do you mean prepping or actually taking the test? If, if you're in algebra two now and you want to start testing, like you want to take the June test, you can take it. Like you've covered everything in school that you would need on the math sections. So there's no reason to wait. I'm not saying that you have to do it now. If you want to start off just practice testing, that's fine too. But if you want to get your feet wet with an actual score and if you have time to prepare for it, yeah, you can go ahead and start with the June test. Um, 
you know, a lot, a lot of people need that game day simulation in order to understand what it feels like. It's, you know, it's one thing to understand all the strategies and, and prepare and all that, but until you're in the crucible, um, you're not really sure or, 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 or prepared. You know, you're, you're not going to really know what it's like. And that's why a lot of kids sometimes don't do as well in the actual on, on game day as they do in, in practice. Um, it's a lot of times that's because not really timing themselves or, or something, yeah. <laughs> um, but but taking an actual simulated, even even the PSAT. If your school offers uh, a PSAT, and you're not even going to take the PSAT, or you've already decided on the ACT. I was I would say still take the PSAT in school, because why not? You know, it's a good experience. It's a stressful situation. It's good to get used yeah. to that. Yep. Yeah, stress your kids out some more. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's only to make them less stressed in the end. Yes. Um, all right, cool. All right. So uh, thanks, everyone, for, for joining us. If you have any questions about our upcoming courses or tutoring or anything else that we covered tonight, absolutely feel free to lob them in. And uh, have a great week. Thanks, Marissa. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the College Planning Edge podcast. For more information about our Inner Circle group coaching membership, which is a great way to dip your toes in the water of the whole college planning morass um, and get access to our double secret software, College Guru software that helps you create a strategic list of colleges and identify fat, juicy, merit aid and need-based aid opportunities, as well as some other benefits. Check out the Lockwood Inner Circle at LockwoodInnerCircle.com and use the coupon code podcast for 50% off the first month's membership. Thanks for listening.